I'm Drew Miller, and you're listening to The Second Muse. Turn it up, this is my favorite part. Watch how the tiger catches the deer in the dark. Its teeth were sharpened by the Darwinian arc of a million... Jay Lynn's songs are like parables. They each achieve a sweeping impression by using the smallest of details, the most fleeting of images. And they always resist preaching their own messages. Instead, they simply paint a portrait, step out of the way, and ask, hey, do you see that too? As a result, Jay's album, For What It's Worth, is able to explore the fraught topic of human suffering without collapsing into platitudes. It's able to invite the listener to inhabit a contingent and transient world more mindfully without once sounding pious. This sentiment applies just as well to the way Lucas Morton approaches record production. He mentions casually in this interview that the reason he does what he does is simply because he loves nothing more than a well-written song. And this love has led him to work on the well-written songs of Jordy Searcy, Jill Andrews, Sandra McCracken, Jeremy Casella, Taylor Linhart, and many others. I hope you come away from this conversation remembering why it is that you love the songs you do. And with enough luck, Jay's song, For What It's Worth, will become the newest addition to that list. Jay Lind, Lucas Morton, thank you so much for joining me on The Second Muse. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Yeah. it's such a pleasure to have you all here. Um, Typically, in conversations around art, it's really easy to kind of romanticize creativity as this um, interaction with the first muse that's Mm. just so um, effortless Mm. and profound all the time and shiny. Um, But we're here to talk about the second muse and how you relate to that sense of um, bumping up against a wall and dead ends and resistance and being baffled by the thing that you're trying to make. So I just want to ask uh, each of you how you would characterize the way that you interact with that second muse. Um, whichever one of you wants to go first, just what what is your relationship to that? Go for it, Jay. Yeah, so um, I think the the depiction of the first muse as shiny is good because the first muse for me usually is shiny and nice. Uh, you know, I, I have this this vision of what it should look like, mm-hmm. and it's not very articulate, but I know what it should look like. Yeah, and uh, I have no idea how to get there, and um, thankfully people like Lucas mm-hmm. can really help with that. Uh, I think the second muse for me though is more like I, I, I personify as like a negative emotion almost, where mm. when I'm feeling angry or jealous or resentful or what, whatever it is, all these things we think of as very negative things, necessarily negative. Mm. Um, they're actually pretty necessary and, and, and there's reasons we experience those emotions. And so I think of the second muse in that way, that it's, it's terrible and there's no point in saying, I mean, it can be terrible. There's no point in trying to paint it all rosy, but at the same time, it's really necessary. And I think it's character building and also changes mm. the whole course of the song. So, like, experiencing those negative emotions is a necessity mm-hmm. to bring... Uh, so, how would that how would that work? Like, you named, like, jealousy and resentment and yeah. all these things. Yeah, how I, do those... I guess, getting into controversial territory early. Um, <laughs> I do think all of those emotions are... are I think they are necessary. And I, I know we talk about them as necessarily 
bad or evil right. even. Yeah. Uh, but I think a, a, a really popular poem uh, that Rumi's guest house where he talks about accepting, you know, oh, anger yeah. and all these different, all these different emotions. Uh, and the song we're going to talk about today, it's really about accepting all the things we think are, are really terrible. And they are terrible in many instances. At the same time, so many things are contingent upon mm-hmm. those negative things. And I think in songwriting, the, the negative element of the writing is really necessary, mm. even though it's okay to call it negative yeah. and mm-hmm. bad. Like it, Sometimes it leads the way yeah, a little bit. Even if it's an intrinsically bad, it might be instrumentally good mm-hmm. in what it can help produce. I can't imagine what my life would be like without all these, you know, let's say negative experiences. Yeah. And to to remove the negative is to kind of to fictionalize what what mm-hmm. life is. And I think that's true in the creative process too. If we try to discount the negative, we're kind of making up a new story, which might be good too, but it's not the reality yeah. of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man, that that's wise. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate hearing that. I read it somewhere. I think. You got anything to add, Lucas? Yeah, I mean, for every really fun moment in making the record, there's also a really, really hard and trying element that is always just so hard to shake, and it, it tends to wreck me. Um, and you've seen that, dude. Like, I think we've both seen that. Um, How's that manifest? Like when you say. Um, that y'all have seen that for each other in the making of this um, this album. Um, you see the bruise on Lucas's face yeah, right now. That's, yeah, I'm still right. yeah, yeah. heavy left hook, bub. <laughs> well, I know uh, for those who don't know, Lucas is a pretty easygoing person, and I could pick up. I mean, I certainly got exhausted at times because we were, we're kind of treated like a nine to five, well, nine to six. Something like that. Yeah. Sometimes nine to seven. And uh, yeah, he, Lucas at least he would get real quiet. I think, and I could mm. pick up that we're you know we're slugging it out is I think a good word totally. for it. Totally. Mm. But yeah. I, I you know getting back to the earlier point, I think that was necessary. I think we actually you know there's something to be said for you know working only when you feel like working, and certainly a mm. lot of great moments come from that. Mm. We still came up with a good a number of uh, less or still pretty good things even when we were kind of not super motivated to be there at that moment sure and and so i think i think that's where i saw it surface was just he would get quiet hmm. i would get quiet we're kind of just you're just in it we had a goal and we were we we're trying to set other things aside to get there yeah that middle portion of the record was where a lot of that silence was you know that first week when we were like taking your demos and uh, rounding them out a little bit, yeah. Having some sectionality to each of the songs, and that was like fast pace, and it felt so so good. And that was right. that first muse. That's the inspiration. That, you know, when you're in and you're ideating, dude, it's just so much fun. It's great. Yeah, sky's the limit because you don't have to choose anything yet. Right. 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 Yeah. And then good I've point. heard producers and artists say that that last week too is also like. It's fast moving, but that's more just because like you need to meet the mixer's deadline yeah, to get it done. <laughs> you know, yeah, you need to get it done because this person has set aside time to mix the record. Um, but also, you're making quick, quick decisions. It's that middle portion where there's a lot of silence, there's a lot of trying things, there's a lot of second guessing whether or not this is right. But I mean, dude, that last week 
is really still very hard for me. I associate the last week of the record as probably the strongest um, example of the second muse for me in the process. So to give it some, to make it a little more concrete and tangible for like where that um, difficulty comes in in the last week, like what um, in the record making process is happening in that last week in terms of just work and um, like is, are those just like the final calls that you have to make on um, certain ideas that like, well, we have to cut this one and keep that one. Like what are the, what's the grind? What are the tasks that are creating that angst in that last week? I mean, didn't we add like a whole new electric guitar part like the day before I sent a song off to mix? Yeah, we we had a couple things we added. I mean, we had trombone like, dude, like two like a few days. Like we've been working on this record for two months. Yeah, and like all of a sudden we're just like, dude. Trombone. It needs and we recut. It needs like, flugelhorn yeah, and trombone. Recut like, acoustic guitar and a couple of things. And I think what you said, Drew, got at it, which is that in the beginning it's fun. You're generating ideas. It's kind of you're, yeah. there's no judgment. You're accepting everything. And then at the end, you have to make calls. And, and mm-hmm. judgment requires, you know, some negative yeah. emotion. You know, because <laughs> especially for myself, I was bonded to certain things, or Lucas is bonded you have to, to let go things, stuff. And you have to let go before you, mm-hmm. you know pass the record on and that's necessary but Mm. otherwise it's just one hot mess yeah and that's even you know in in the essay that the quote about the second muse comes from um it's it's actually an essay called poetry and marriage where he compares poems in the form of poetry as a way of being faithful to the structure of the poem that you're setting out to um to write he compares that to the vows of marriage. You are uh, vowing to stay faithful to the form, to the structure of marriage. And and so he, he even kind of, Wendell Berry uh, approaches this sort of creative faithfulness um, to the form of the song or the form of the poem or whatever with loving it, you know, with like, you have this responsibility to this thing you're making to you can't just make up the rules you know it's going to give you um it's it's going to reveal to you something of its form that you have to abide by or else it'll be nonsense you know you can't you can't do everything Hmm. um so it's it's interesting to think of even that last week of uh of making a record as like well these decisions are how i am seeking to faithfully love and honor this project and give it like what it needs, you know, like there's almost this like relational aspect to that, that I I find really fascinating. Um, Yeah. So like Jay's lyrical brilliance and genius, like astounded me at the beginning. And it was very clear to me that like we needed to try to find a way for us to work together. And so, because like these songs are just so good. They're just so good, and I had nothing to do with those things. Like there was so much vision on the front end that you can speak so so well about. Anyways, well, let's we can we can kind of hop from the arrangement conversation backwards to the songwriting conversation, but let's listen to the song itself first, and then that'll kind of give us some like 
solid ground to talk Sweet. about maybe the writing process. Turn it up. This is my favorite part. Watch how the tiger catches the deer in the dark. Its teeth were sharpened by the Darwinian arc of a million years. And the hyenas laugh from their secret hiding place. As the tiger's teeth find a purpose in its prey. Sings a song of life on earth But it's still grateful to the band For what it's worth Light it up, jungle set aflame Once a month we keep it dim to keep it tame after our ancestors' mistakes for a hundred years And the hunter sets his sights and takes his aim As the tiger flees from the fire the street flies in their faces and nothing on their feet these little ones will be lucky if they breathe for a couple years and the women laugh from their cages in
man. It's been a while oh, since like, I heard that. It's really good. I'm sorry. Sorry. That's a that's a great song. I don't care who in the world recorded it. It's a great song. <laughs> it's a great but isn't song. that a great feeling? Like for yeah. you, you know, I I want to begin with just how you wrote it. Where did it start? Yeah. Uh, t- share as much of the story as oh, as you want. All right. Yeah. Um. So it started a few years ago. I guess I should preface this. Uh, this album, the or the record that this is part of which is of the same name, is a concept album inspired by stories and reflections from hospice. So I was uh, in New Jersey for the last roughly four years, and I was involved with a hospice organization there where I basically just hung out with people once a week for a few hours, sometimes played music, sometimes just caught up, and uh, made some really great friends there. And it was a really formative experience for me. And I had this opportunity to do this record. And so I, when I moved to Nashville uh, fall of 2018, I, I basically locked myself in my room for a few months um, and, and just read a lot and tried to reflect on a, a lot of the experiences I had had. So uh, one of those was the summer after my junior year of college. I was in New Delhi, India. I was with a hospice organization there. It's actually palliative medicine and there is a Mm -hmm. distinction between the two but Mm -hmm. we saw many patients who were on hospice and uh, especially cancer patients so Mm -hmm. it was a it was a really uh impactful summer oh yeah for me uh that was uh, most of my work was actually in the office but i would accompany the teams for home visits Uh, Mm -hmm. the group is called can support they're actually they're amazing ngo they're grassroots local and can uh, support can support like cancer support yeah yeah. uh just really wonderful organization uh they were recognized by world health organization a few years ago and but they're having a huge impact in their community just caring for people who are um most of the time dying from cancer and yeah they just have hearts of gold and it's usually lower income groups too but i i saw a lot that summer and i was trying to process it each night uh but the song actually came outside of hospice it came from there was so i was in kind of the really western part of New Delhi, the really wealthy, affluent area. Mm-hmm. I was actually there to see the shop where the Beatles had got there. They used to play these instruments and so on. That So there's a shop that's nice. just got the Beatles all over it. Oh, so yeah. I was doing the most touristy. And I, I was, in some sense, the furthest away from the job I had been. And it was outside, yeah. and there was a young woman. Uh, and I want to preface it with, with New Delhi is absolutely beautiful. In, yeah. Incredible place. Uh, I would love to go back. Um, but in this particular area, there was a young woman who was on the side of the, the road, and I kind of almost walked right into her. And uh, I was stunned, I think, because I wasn't at work and I wasn't expecting it. Um, I believe she had leprosy. She had some kind of um, disorder where, or disease where her hands were, she basically had um, nubs for her hands and her face was deteriorating and uh i couldn't tell her age but she was roughly roughly my age and i that really threw me for a loop for a long time i think uh and i dreamt about it and tried to journal about it and um it was one of those few images just because it was so graphic that i really couldn't get out of my head and i think in my own faith uh it was a, a milestone because you know i I, I like to think that I'd spent a lot of time thinking about suffering and, you know, these heady problems right. and uh, the emotional and visual component of it were so impactful. So yeah. 
I knew I wanted that to come. Well, I, I wanted that. I wanted something to be said about that in the record. And I, I, I wrote a few songs more directly about that experience, and they felt kind of um, too visceral or too. Mm. I, I, it, it seemed like I was. It seemed like there was a better way to do it. And so this this song came from um, how I tried to process it, which was mainly through um, reading, through I, mm-hmm. through ideas. Uh, and so there were, there were a couple really influential things I read. Uh, one of those was uh, Friedrich Nietzsche's The Gay Science. It's a book mm-hmm. where uh, it's written in aphorisms, like short segments. And he's basically, he describes it as his most personal book of, mm-hmm. of the many books he published. And he's basically reconciling, he had a real difficult life. Uh, he had a, some severe disease. Uh, he was rejected when he was, he proposed a woman was rejected. He left mm-hmm. academia to pursue something he thought was more fruitful and his book sold dismally. He ended up going to insane asylum. Uh, and when he finally became pub- popular in Europe, he wasn't, he wasn't there to even recognize it. Mm. So he just front to back, really difficult life. And he had this idea of, uh, which he borrowed from the Greek Stoics of Amor Fati, which is the idea that the love of fate, it's the idea that learning to love everything in life. And there's a few passages in the gay science where he really harp, harks on that, harps on that. Uh, so that was one influential piece for me in, in yeah. trying to think about this is, you know, how can I learn to accept this without calling it, you know, beautiful or good in and of itself? How can mm. I learn to accept this as part of life? And the second piece was actually a poem by Jack Gilbert. It's called A Brief for the Defense. And there's lyrical allusions in this song to that poem. And it's a similar idea from a slightly different perspective. It was written uh, quite a bit after Nietzsche. But th- those two thinkers, Nietzsche and Gilbert, and those two pieces really helped me process that event and where I, now I can think about it. It'll always be an emotional moment for me, but I can think about it and it doesn't carry the same. My, I'm more at peace with it. And it was through writing this song too, I think was the the kind of the last um, component to me processing yeah. that. At least now, I'm you know, I may come back. <laughs> yeah, uh, for now, right. So that, that's what the song is about, it's about acceptance and contingency. And, uh, yeah. it, and the, the whole kind of uh, sound sonically, it's supposed to set you in this environment that oh, feels yeah. different, that feels... The jungle set aflame. Yes, the jungle set aflame. And it's, it's the intention isn't, it, it's kind of, the intention is to take a, um, I guess the te- intention is to take a, I, just to speak honestly about someone from the West in a different culture experiencing something different. And I'm trying to stay yeah. true to that. I'm not trying to, I, I'm, I'm trying to just be honest about the perspective I have with the sound yeah. and so on. And uh, that's the song. Yeah, man. I mean, and the moment itself that began this entire reflection was literally just bumping into somebody on the street. Yeah. And it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even hospice related. This yeah, was, you were just, you were outside and it's, and you, you had, you had this whole um, project that you were already doing very purposefully in your mind of like hospice and reflecting on this thing. And then maybe one of the most significant moments was it just blindsided you mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah which itself feels like a significant detail. <laughs> yeah. That, oh, yeah. That's, yeah. But it didn't come in this is, you know, place that you planned for it to come at all. Um, hmm. And I like, I think 
when you talk about acceptance and contingency, I mean, these are like these questions. That's part of why I love this whole project so much is, um, is the, the way that you are, it's, it's a courageous thing. And it's also, it's courageous because it's so potentially fraught to, um, engage with the question of suffering, um, without either sentimentalizing it into some kind of artistic, whatever motif, or um, just falling into despair, which is its own form of sentimentalizing it, you know? Um, But the line that, to me, at the end of this song, feels like it even encompasses maybe some of the other songs on the project is when, um, is it in the words of the bishop that you're singing? Mm -hmm. The bishop prays, let the Lord rain down his judgment on the earth, but I still love the heart of man for what it's worth, Mm -hmm. right? that feels like the word that comes to my mind is theodicy. It's hmm. like the problem of evil. Hmm. Like in every single song, you're asking that, you know, how could this happen? How could this happen? Um, but doing it in such a way that it's never collapsing into any answer that's going to betray the very complexity of the question, hmm. you know? Um, and hmm. I, I guess maybe a question for you then in terms of songwriting would be like going into a project like this, you have to have some of those concerns on your mind about like what happens when I sit down to write about suffering? Is this going to be, is this going to serve the people who are suffering? Hmm. Um, Is it going to collapse into piety? Is it going to collapse into despair? What space in your imagination were those questions occupying as you started? And, and like, how did you navigate those sorts of um, tensions and things? Fortunately for me, when I first had this idea of a record about hospice, you know, some, some people, at least and myself included, the initial thought is, oh, this is a record about death and dying, mm. which I have done neither of. I have no experience there, you know, um, yeah. even sitting at a bedside, you can be six inches from someone, but you're, you're, you know, there's infinity between you. The yeah. experience is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a couple of records that I thought just talked about the idea so well. And so, so Sufjan Stevens, Carrie and Lowell was mm-hmm. a huge one. Um, so I'm looking back on my songwriting throughout my life. I, I always look back on my last project and I'm like, ah, oh, you're, you're preaching, you're saying too much, mm-hmm. you know, you're taking mm-hmm. too strong of a stance. But the reality is, is in that season, I took that stance because that stance was really helpful for me in some gotcha. way, that, whatever that confidence was. Um, with approaching this one, I think in some ways my experiences over the last couple of years, um, and speaking to a lot of palliative care physicians and people who, you know, I was just, I'm just a volunteer. I spent a few weeks, a few hours a week, but there are people yeah. working this nine to five in this field yeah. and speaking to them and hearing some of their wisdom and some of their cautions about taking up a subject like this. At the end of the day, um, all I can do, and I think the best thing I can do is be really honest about how I, how I feel. And so if that means I start, you know, preaching, which has happened in my songs before, <laughs> you know, okay. You know, I kind, I, yeah. I, I kind of accept that. Um, and I think with this one, there's, it's the complexity of the question has just um, taken on new layers in the past few years. And so I wanted to put that complexity out there. And so I think honesty is is kind of the short answer to that question. Yeah. It's just be as honest as I can. Yeah. Uh, which 
is hard for me to do even with myself. I don't know, I don't know what it means to be it's honest like with It's like deceivingly yourself. hard to do, right? That's hmm. you know, your mind is an iceberg, I feel like. Yeah. So hmm. man. There's this book that uh that I've been reading recently that's engaging with Saint Augustine. Um that just really illustrates how he thought of his own um like I don't know myself. You know, so how can I be honest if I don't know my, like, who I am? Mm. You know? And that's that's such a... Um, if you're coming from that space, you're probably being as honest as you can, yeah. right? Mm. And you're probably in safer territory if you're aware of your own mystery. Surely. <laughs> I think, I think uh, it might have been Augustine, or maybe it was Aquinas who said to know oneself, like knowing God and knowing oneself, there's a, there's a real connection there. Yeah, they're, they're I think linked. there's wisdom, you know, modern psychological wisdom in that. Yeah. So for this particular song, how did you bring it from um, its inception to what we just listened to? And at any point, feel free to say, hey, play that demo, you yeah. know, so that we can hear. <laughs> play that uh, demo. But you brought to Lucas something mm-hmm. um, very different from what we... Um, well, not that different, though, because you brought him a, a demo that you'd already worked on pretty mm-hmm. pretty well. Yeah. So. yeah, so I had, I remember, this was one of the few songs I remember, right, where I was when I wrote it, and I remember what I was doing, and I was actually reflecting on um, that story I mentioned with the girl, and I was I was trying to really get in the headspace, and um, I, was, I was actually really emotionally moved in that moment, and that's when lyrics started coming, and it was actually the, mm-hmm. the final verse of the song that came out. Oh. Um, with the bishop, I had this yeah. image of you know this bishop who, who's been sent to a new land to you know convert and to proselytize, and he's trying to reconcile the fact that there's so much beauty and goodness and so much suffering, and, and you know he's trying to piece those together himself. Yeah. So that's where it started. Uh, the demos. I don't know if I've ever changed a song this much from front oh, to back. Yeah. So I had I had the lyrics originally. It was like in my head, it was this Bruce Springsteen kind of anthemic rock thing. Uh, and then I, when I was going for a run one morning, it suddenly became this more like uh, Bob Dylan, uh, serve somebody groovy mm. track. Mm-hmm. The lyrics were the same throughout all this, but the yeah. the feel. Uh, and then, uh, so I think I think I have a demo of the original acoustic. Which is like just a voice memo. Yeah, um, you're just like kind of uh, shouting the melody. Yep, that was the morning just a backbeat, I'm right? Banging on the ki- kitchen ta- table. That was the Springsteen moment. If you okay, want. well we can. This is all embarrassing. Hear what that is. Here we go. <laughs> Falls on bishop. ground to pray. Let the Lord bring down his judgment on the earth. I still love the heart of man for what it's worth. You had that lyric. Yeah. From yeah. the very start. It's just really cool. Yeah. Uh, and I love how it's the very last line, really, of the song, and you started there, and then you yep. like, like, okay, I need to get there. I can't just come right out of the gate, you know, with this big claim, sure. right? Mm. But 
Um, that's cool that that's like <laughs> that love is. it too, man. I mean, Banging like everybody bangs the on their kitchen table and like shouts melodies when they're yeah. like when they're know, alone at home. Yeah, you're at 9 a.m. Yeah, no, it's I think I just did that this morning, actually. There you go. I'm That's how I start being honest with myself. <laughs> I, I didn't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I have done that yeah. before. So. so it went from that to uh, the Bob Dylan thing and then to uh, this. Gr- I, I was like, you know, I was getting frustrated with the song at this point. I was a month and a half in with mm. it. And I knew I was going to be with Lucas in just a month and a half to, after that. I was like, okay, I know this is the title track. This is not how the song sounds. What does the song want to do? And it's yeah. almost like the song was like a teenager at this point, had yeah. all this built up angst and just wanted to say that. And so what came next was I just was like, okay, this is not a rock album, no intention, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna let this thing happen. So I, I tracked this um, in my bedroom and it 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 was this for a very brief moment. Okay, so this was the song's adolescent phase. Have I heard this? Dude! <laughs> Turn it up. This is my favorite part. Watch how the tiger catches Bambi in the dark. Bambi. His teeth were sharpened by the Darwinian arc of a million years. From the secret hiding place As a tiger's teeth Find a purpose in its prey Had Bambi in there Got dude. worried about Disney copyright issues So, Oh yeah, dude. you can't really she say laughed. Bambi or else can't see Bambi. <laughs> Disney will get you <laughs> They got Bambi But I think we've reached the dude, What is yes. it? Uh, life plus seventy of the the Bambi. I think you can refer to Bambi now. There we go. Maybe right. I'm not sure. Well, you can publish this. It's a great now. question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I'm in trouble too. Uh, man. Yeah. So and that, that happened, and then it had the iteration where I was like, okay, this is clear. Like I let the song do that. This is not it though. Um, yeah. And I started playing with this synth. I was thinking of uh, like Genesis and some of those bands. And oh, totally started playing with the synth i can hear it now that's where mm-hmm. we got this final demo which is the one i i had at least enough confidence to show to lucas which is really impressive that it was this far along because like you really like oh yeah yeah went by it, the book there was so much already there yeah so here's that one turn it up this is my favorite part Watch how the tiger catches the deer in the dark Its teeth were sharpened by the Darwinian arc of a million years And hyenas laugh from their secret hiding place As the yeah. yeah. And then I gave it to Lucas. <laughs> And then yeah. what happened, Dude. Lucas? Well, actually, uh, I, I'm just. It's, first off, it's a huge pleasure to be able to hear these different iterations of the song because I haven't heard the two previous demos than what we just heard, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I just love that. So when we when we started, um, 
for that first week of pre-production, um, he uh, gave me a bunch of songs. Really, we went through a bunch of songs and going into like, okay, we got to choose yeah. for the record now because mm-hmm. we know we need to do these many so- this many songs. And was it seven? Uh, seven was the final. I think we start with fifteen demos. Right, start Ooh. with fifteen demos, whittled down to seven. Um, and the cool part about all of his demos was that we ended up keeping like some out like that pad we didn't change a thing about that pad we kept it mm-hmm. it was immediately inspiring yeah um then that drum groove like oh yeah though we got rid of that loop no we kept the loop but i <laughs> i filtered it down yeah and then yeah, we like, got rid of that did we? Yeah. Then we got rid of that. The loop, wow, the that's crazy. The thing that we changed that pretty last minute, actually. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, but then, Will Sales. Well, actually, Will didn't show up until the very end. I did the perk loop stuff at the beginning. Okay. Cool. So we just kind of like built off of that mm. original just gooiness of the beginning and i yeah. loved it so much and i was like you, it's good you've already got this really great thing let's try to preserve it and it was the same with a bunch of the other songs too like there's yeah. one song that i can't wait for people to hear called nothing personal oh that, um yeah that's my two ships and i just night love that song and... so so much so um and he came with this like really awesome guitar like arpeggiated kind of motif that opens up the song i'm just like this is immediately inspiring like why get rid of something that's so awesome um so what did you find yourself ultimately um doing like how how do you take something that's already so uh chiseled and then like try to inject my inspiration into that just like take it to the next level yeah so i i would that's such a it's such a deep question for me. I mean, that is your art. Yeah. That like yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it happen. Totally. It's totally. amazing. Um well, I think first off, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that the reason why I've decided to do what I do in production is because I'm just a fan of a really well-written song. Because sure. oftentimes I look at my own songs and I'm like, ah. and then I look at other people's songs and it's just like, that's what I want to be so mm. much. So I really find a lot of life and inspiration when I witness and when I see something that's already so well formed. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I've learned, I think, to not hold on to things so tightly Mm. uh and if if something really does feel cooked to a certain degree (laughs) there's no sense in adding just over spicing it and putting it back in the oven like i i don't know i that pad in my mind i was like i can't really recreate the the kind of atmosphere Mm. that you've already kind of established here so let's yeah. just build off of that. Let's start introducing some of the sectionality. And I think that that's what I was able to bring in was like, okay, let's um, maybe cut out some of the low end in that pad. So, and then like, let, let that 
kind of jungle groove um, be a little bit more apparent and yeah, some more and space. To yeah, totally. And then, but then there's some overdubs there that came in in the um, the final version that are really like signature stuff that like wasn't there in the demo. Um, like the ear candy, the ear candy. Yeah, yeah. and like, yeah. but it's it's inspired. I think what's fascinating to me is that you can't get to those really fun, exciting overdubs until you've done that baseline work of like finding the atmosphere of this song, like what it needs to be. And the fact that you had done that, like you can then hear, Oh, this, like the cello stuff is so good. And oh, the, um, whoever the vocalist is that just did those like, yeah. Yeah. Jay has a friend in, in London who what? is like, a really amazing Indian classical vocalist. Yeah. So she's already way cooler than yeah, all Shruthi, of us combined. Shruthi, um, she's phenomenal. <laughs> she's a Marshall scholar out in London. She's working on a number of projects. Some of them are kind of Eastern Western fusion projects, mm-hmm. but she just, she was trained in jazz vocals. And, uh, I had this idea of doing this quarter tone kind of riff and I gave it to her and she of course blew me out of the water with what she sent back yeah, do you have, she a, it, do you have an audio example of what you sent to her <laughs> I'd love did you record that one at your I kitchen table too yeah, Drew, did could you not, play that real quick I did not and you will not hear that <laughs> maybe you could demonstrate it um, but I don't I, uh, Lucas is really humble I don't want to underplay how much he added when we say ear candy it's more like ear cake because ear cake <laughs> Because <laughs> the thoughtfully crafted Sounds like something that I need to go to my doctor yeah. to check out. Is your, yeah. <laughs> for me, for me, most of that song was you know a pad and loop, and then we just—I mean, Lucas mainly it was his ideas. We just started pouring on all these elements. That, yeah, try this, try that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it just—it really shaped the song. And, and then the drums at the end too—that was Will and Lucas. Uh, that was that yeah. was all new. That was cut mm-hmm. down in the basement. Yeah. Yeah. My studio is in a basement of a residence, mm-hmm. and it's not a big room that we track uh, the drums in. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got Evan Redwine over to engineer the drums for that day. Um, and we opened up the door to the drum room to where the control room was open. And then I have this, we have this uh, concrete, kind of empty chamber room yeah and uh, we opened the door of the chamber to Ooh. let the the sound kind of travel in into there and to like create the illusion of a bigger sounding room yeah you know that's just awesome. using little little tricks just being smart stuff. yeah and clever totally all right well i'll uh, wrap up by just asking you guys if you have any music you've been listening to that you've been loving and want to recommend just like everybody needs to go check out this album um before the interview we were talking about mass and cunningham's album yeah that's like i've just been trying to like preach that to everyone like go listen to it right now it's so good it's like anything on y'all's uh radar that you want to share well, this morning, this is going to sound like a total plug, but the new Jordy Cersei is oh, just man. phenomenal, which Lucas also produced. Um, mm. You know, whether I knew Jordy or not, it's just, whew, it's yeah. it's next level. Um, in terms of what I've been listening to, um, I know Modi has a new album. He was a big Really? Modi does Dude, have a new yes. record. That's actually what I was going to say. Yeah. It's phenomenal. What's it called? 
Uh, what is it called? I already forgot. I know it's a white uh, album cover, and I believe it has a an, an arrow or something. It's a bullet. A bullet. We are bad fans, but oh, yeah. nice, dude. It's great. Uh, I'm, yeah, it's horrible. Lucas, you told me about Unsongs, yeah, years ago, yeah, and like that ended up being formative to yeah. me. Like I just Ridiculous. wore that out. Well, it only makes sense for us to maybe plug that record because it's thoughtful songs that like really take you on this journey and uh all together points to some sort of northern star you mm. know that there's like records out there that do that so so well mm. i think jay's record does that really, really oh i well. think so too yeah like it, all of this uh all of this talk of of suffering and maybe what i would say is like after listening to it, you have this more ordinary view of suffering as, mm. it's, as it's more normal. Mm. And uh, then it ends, the record ends with a song called It Is Good. Oh my God. You know, you're basically making that very simple statement and exhaling. And there's a lot of really amazing records out there that do that well. Uh, and yeah, Modi's record, dude, check it out. It's so, so good. Um, yeah, I'll have to. All right, well, thanks so much, y'all, for coming and Thank you, Drew. talking with me. It's just, for me, it's like a selfish excuse to get to have this conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio in the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.